This episode is sponsored by the One Membership by Template Monster. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the HTML All the Things podcast, episode number 66. What is JSON? I'm your host, Matt Lawrence, and I'm joined again by my co-host, Mike Coran. If you've been enjoying the podcast so far and you want to support us, there are a couple of ways you could do that. You can review us on the Apple Podcast or the podcast platform that you you are listening to this on. You can also check us out on Patreon. We only have a couple of tiers right now, but that $3 tier will give you a shout-out in the podcast, and we will share a link to your website in our show notes. And probably the most important one is just to tell your friends. Share this in any way possible. Let them know that we are here and we are ready to be listened to. And that's a dog barking in the background. Yes, and I'm also, sorry about that. And also we have a Discord server. So our Discord server is well over 200 members now. So uh, it's finally – well, on this, we really need to change this script. I, I always almost say it and I actually just did say it. It is – apparently – hang on a minute. I was going to read the script. Our Discord server has finally launched, and with it, we hope to create a community full of web developers from all walks of the industry join today. That's already been done, so just join the existing community, folks. But anyway, uh, weekly pain point, uh, Mike, who is remote, take it away. All right. Uh, so this is the first podcast that we're recording remotely, uh, and it's pretty remote. So I'm in Russia right now. It's where I was born. I'm visiting grandparents, some other family, and stuff like that. Uh, so yeah, the, my weekly pain point is definitely jet lag and just travel in general. It's, it's definitely a, a downer. It's, it's long, slow. I mean, I guess unless you're in business class, you can't really do anything. I was hoping to get some work done on the plane. Uh, but that did not work because the, it, there was such like little amounts of space that I couldn't get my laptop out and be comfortable at any way. Like I couldn't even really be comfortable period. So with the laptop, it would be even worse. So I just kind of like sat there and stared at a screen for like the entire flight. watched some random movies and stuff like that, which was kind of eh. But yeah, uh, I'm, I'm becoming acclimatized. I'm okay here. I work has been going pretty well. So everything's kind of moving forward. Uh, so that was my weekly pain point. What about you, man? Uh, so this week, uh, kind of went a little bit ham as Mike knows. So the kind of the instant he left, a lot of stuff started happening, uh, just in, on all fronts. So, uh, my weekly pain point is interaction overload, and that includes uh, some training stuff, research, uh, doing some support stuff, etc. So kind of doing everything uh, in all realms that I could possibly be doing it in this job. Uh, everything kind of lit up the radar this week, so just kind of overload in that way. Um, but this is actually a Mike-heavy episode, despite him being remote. He wrote up most of the show notes here, so uh, Mike, take it away with segment number one. All right, so uh, this episode is going to be about JSON, and segment number one, we'll talk about what is JSON. Uh, so JSON stands for JavaScript Object Notation. Uh, it's, it's a data storage standard that is considered to be a light lightweight, and it's used for storing and sending data. Actually, most REST APIs that everyone's probably used or will use in the future will be, u- will be sending a JSON response. I think before there was a pretty common XML responses, uh, but right now I think JSON is the dominant way to like send and receive data with an API. Uh, one great thing about JSON that's kind of better than XML, I would say, is that it's easy to understand. It's human readable, like in quotes, uh, while also being very easy to parse, so computer readable. Uh, it, it makes it like the structure of a JSON object is very succinct so you could see kind of like the uh there's a t- a data name 
with a with a value pair, and the data name will describe what the value it, it ho is holding, which makes it really simple. And it's structured really well with indents and uh, commas and stuff like that. So you know the separation of data. Uh, another thing is that it can be used to create, store, and send more complex comp uh, data structures like arrays and stuff like that. So w within arrays, you can kind of store objects. So you can have an array of objects that you can send over. There are a couple of limitations depending on what you're doing with the JSON. I know there was one limitation for storing uh, I remember when with, with local web storage where you can't store like an object, an object array when it's too far deep into your JSON structure. I'm not sure if that is still the case, but I know in, in some specific cases, you can't store every, every kind of thing you want in a JSON structure. You kind of have to store it and then rebuild maybe if you want a more complex one, like maybe a, a list might be a little bit harder to, to store there. You might have to store an array and then kind of rebuild it into a list when you receive it back. Uh, another thing is that J uh, JavaScript has built-in tools to work with JSON, which is kind of, you know, really convenient and why I think JSON has become so popular. One of the things is JSON.parse, which will take any string and create a JSON object out of it. Now, it, it will return an error if the string doesn't contain the proper uh, formatting because you kind of, you need a proper formatted string object. So where this comes into comes in handy would be again either receiving something as a as a string from an API and it having a JSON object stored in as a string. So that happens sometimes. Um, sometimes you want to just write up a JSON object in text. So maybe you have just a, a file, a like a file that has a JSON object, a string object. And what you do is you'll import that as a string and then just part use the JSON.parse to actually create a JSON object out of it that you can manipulate with JavaScript. Uh, there's this, so the strings have have to have certain rules, or and, and these rules are the same for the JSON object. So the data has to be have a name and a value pair. Data has to be separated by commas. There has to be curly braces for holding an object, and then square brackets for holding arrays. So those really are the only rules inside of a JSON structure which also makes it kind of simpler to understand, build, and create. Like, it's it's just an easy way to kind of manipulate and function with data. So it, it shouldn't... My big thing with JSON is that I hope that it doesn't intimidate anyone to start using it right away. So when you're first learning JavaScript, when you're first learning HTML, CSS, you, you should maybe try to incorporate a little bit of JSON into your life as well, like with either like an API call here and there to figure out how the APIs work, how that data looks when you when you receive it, how you can manipulate it, how you can send it back. It's not a very complicated task uh, and, it, and it will go really far in the future because as we're going to discuss in the next segment, a big portion of developing more complex more complex applications is figuring out how the data works in your application. And a lot of that time is it's going to be with JSON. Another another cool uh, function function that JavaScript has built in is JSON.stringify, which will take any JavaScript variable, so not necessarily like an object or anything like that from JavaScript, and will create a JSON object out of it. So you can create a JSON object from any variable or from any uh, from an array. You can kind of create an, an, a JSON object. You can you can do many things with this, and it it makes it easy to kind of send as well. I think it, it's used a lot when you want to uh, first, you know, stringify your your JavaScript object into a JSON object and then send it 
to wh wherever you need to send it, either your server or an API call or whatever. So these tools make it really easy to work with APIs as well as send data back and forth to other apps. And that's really convenient uh, because if you had to build your own structure to work with with data, like I, I believe there's other data structures that aren't JSON and aren't XML that people use. And you usually have to use third-party uh, extensions to kind of use those structures. Now, I don't know what they are at the top of my head. I'd love to hear more about them. I'm sure there's a lot of reasons to use different kinds of data structures for sending and receiving data. But uh, for me, JSON has done everything that it could possibly need it to do. And with that, I think we'll move on to structuring data, which is segment two. I uh, actually have a couple of questions. Oh, yeah. Um, so one of the things I think, this is a question slash comment. So one of the things that I think is kind of stopping people or barring people from pulling data into uh, apps or their like web pages or whatever, especially if they're just getting started is actually the introduction to API. So like calling an API is relatively easy. You know, usually there's a bit of a proprietary thing where, you know, maybe you need to get an account or you need to do something to get an API key. And then once you have that, they want you to call, you know, their stuff in a certain way and they want you to treat their data in a certain way. Like, hey, don't be backing this up or hey, please back this up. Don't keep calling my API or like there's limits. You know, everyone has like those proprietary steps. But, you know, with that sort of logistical stuff aside, I think that there's actually a bit of a learning curve that isn't described anywhere well, I'd say, in how to actually call an API or what exactly is happening. Like, I would say that unless you know before or have it explained to you kind of verbally, or at least that's how I learned it, um, I actually didn't really know what was going on. Now, this was years ago when we were first getting started, but like I really didn't understand it all. Like, like you get an API key and then, and that's kind of like your password. Like that's your identifier. That's like authorizing you to pull this data. Cause it's quote unquote, like it's public, but it's not just like openly accessible. Like you don't, they don't want every person in the planet be hitting their, their, their infrastructure. So like, I guess what my question is with that comment is, do you kind of agree with that? Do you think that there is a bit of a, like a lack or a bit of a lull in terms of tutorials on how to, how to actually use API in terms of the initial connection? Like there's very little explanation as to what it is outside. Like when I was looking it up, it was always stuff like an API is like, you know, a, whatever, I, I even forgot what the thing is, but it's like a, uh, whatever program interface and like you, and you use it to like pull in data. And, like, that was always sort of the synopsis I would get. But then it's like, okay, but, like, how do I use this? Like, where do I put this in my code? Like, what what am I doing here? And that was always sort of skipped over. And whenever looking at Stack Overflow articles and that sort of thing, I would always find that there would be more questions on, like, hey, I have, like, this error with this API. But, like, I was always – when I was trying to learn it, I was always like, how the hell do I even make the call? Like, would you say that that is one of the – would you say that there's a hole in sort of tutorials in that way? And would you say that there's like, that's sort of like one of the big leaps that people need to make that they're not doing? So uh, how I'll describe it is like this from what, from what I've uh, learned with and, and how I've learned API calls is that certain, like if you're going to, if you're going into an API, let's say you're going for getting movie, <clears throat> movie metadata, right? And they have an API and, you go to their page. I don't know which one. It doesn't really matter, but you go to their page. Most of the time, it'll just be like what you need to get their uh, API, but not how, 
right? And that's what that and that's your concern. It's like they're not showing you exactly how to do it. They're just giving you the you know the key, the link, uh, maybe password and credentials, stuff like that. Like they're giving you a bunch of information, but not telling you how to put it together. And I think there there is an issue with that, but it's also the thing where sometimes there's just too many different platforms that someone could use. So like with a movie data API, uh, it could be, you know, someone could be accessing from an iPhone. Someone could be accessing from Android. Someone could be accessing from web. Someone could be accessing it from like a desktop, any desktop application. Someone could be accessing it from a server. Like there's just so many different technologies to get API calls that it would be tough for every small API provider to provide the exact ways for everyone to be able to do it. Now, having said that, there are some that will legitimately give you the full request details. So like a lot of the time, what it'll do is like, they'll give you the information and then they'll be like, here's an example of how to call it. And there will be like three or four different tabs. And all the one will be like a curl request. One will be like a, a fetch. One will be a PHP request. One will be like, there'll be like four or five different ways that they'll show you how to get their information and then what it looks like and how to parse and stuff like that. There are some larger APIs that definitely do that. Uh, and that makes it easier to learn. Uh, now, having said that, when you're talking about like just learning APIs and when you like Google APIs, a lot of the time you won't get that information because you'll just be shown like pages on what an API is, how to make an API uh, so that you can interact with it uh, rather than how to actually use and interact with the APIs. So it's, it's kind of a weird, it's a weird in-between thing where it's like they just don't show enough information or they're worried that they're going to show too much of it and confuse people. So what you usually have to do is like Google something different, like how to how to uh, send an a send a request to an API in JavaScript, and that will usually give you the right information with with how to do it. Now, there's many different ways even inside of JavaScript to do it. There's different packages that are available. There's like the XHR HTTP requests that you can do. Those are the kind of the more the older method, but reliable. There's the fetch method, which is now built in, <clears throat> built into JavaScript. Uh, which works just fine as well. I, I, I use that quite often. And then there's like, for Vue.js, there's like an Axios package. Uh, and I think you can actually use it Axios for many other, uh, in any NPM provided uh, project. And then it's the same thing for React. There's It has its own kind of like, you know, API, XML, HTTP requests, like however it wants to do it. Uh, so there's many different ways to do it. So that's another confusing factor that I could see kind of being a uh, stopping force for some people where they like go to it and be like, well, there's 15 different ways to do it. Why is there 15 different ways? So in, in my opinion, when you're first starting out, it, it doesn't really matter. Just pick one and try to use it. When you get to a more complex API structure, you'll know why those those apply. There, there are reasons that there's many, many different ways to, to call an API. Um, I'm not going to get into them right now because I think we're going to have an episode in the future talking about APIs and I don't want to bullshit anyone. Uh, with information that I don't have in front of me. So I, I think that's that's the answer to that. Yeah, I, I would say. I would say that my main issue was, because like, that's exactly what I was trying to do, was access a, a movie database a long time ago. And I was just like trying to, like I was able to connect to it, but we had like that weird problem, right, where I was trying to use Cordova. And so I was like trying to like connect to the, connect to the API, pull in the information, 
and then have it work in a Cordova, in Cordova. So like, I think I was adding too many layers. And then the fact that the, the, um, documentation, cause I tried a couple of different APIs. The, the fact that the documentation, uh, in both cases had so many ways to do stuff. And then they were just like, Oh, make sure you back all this up or else like, you know, you, you don't want to like, you know, call too many times or, you know, if you do this excessively, we'll ban you and stuff. And it's like, Whoa, I'm already like getting not threatened, but you're like, you know, you're trying to learn. You're like, I don't want to get banned. I'm trying to learn what the hell is going on here kind of thing. So it is like a bit, a bit overwhelming. I kind of think maybe we should do a tutorial, uh, to be blunt. Like we, yeah. we talk like, like maybe like good word purists in terms of JavaScript and stuff for most cases. Like maybe we should, maybe we should make a tutorial and like, let's call, I don't know, this movie one or let's call this bird type or I don't know, something. I agree. I kind of, I kind of want to do a tutorial not only on just calling the API, but actually what to do with the data after. Uh, like That's you were cool. saying, s- some of them have limitations on how many times you want to use it. And so you can kind of store it, keep it for a certain amount of time. And then call it again. Like you can maybe do that twice a day, or you can do that once a day, or how, like you can set your own interval. So yeah. I might, I might want to try to do a tor- tutorial with that. And also manipulating JavaScript or JSON is a big one. And I actually have a uh, a small tutorial up on Medium where it's it's manipulating JSON to build and structure a page. So you can check that out on our on our HTML things Medium account. Uh, but with that being said, I think let's move on to segment two, which is structuring data. So when first starting out on a larger project, I kind of always recommend to spend extra time to structure your data before beginning to write out or even plan your logic. Uh, so spending the time to do a simple, you know, UML class diagram where you can work out what kind of relationships your data will have with each other and with your application and stuff like that can have a huge impact on your ability to finish a project. And don't don't be worried that I'm saying like a UML class diagram. You don't have to be like a software engineer or anything like that to go in and use a diagram. You can you don't even have to use it specifically. Like if you're if you're doing something a smaller project where it maybe becomes a little bit too like there's just too much data for you to kind of comprehend in your own mind, just write down all the data structures that you have, all the all the different data that that's going to be used in your project. And then try to determine what relationships it's going to have with each other. So is, is your, you know, your user going to be able to interact with your shopping carts? Are your, uh, database, like, are your databases able to access anything in the website? Like stuff like that. It just, it'll make it easier for you to round out, <clears throat> round out your logic around it. And it'll make it easier for you to figure out what exactly you will need to build to interact with that data that you that you've written down so with an api and server responses uh you don't control them as well so you always see what data is available so you need what you need to do with an api is make sure that you know what it's actually sending to you and that's a that's a big thing too because it's it's going to be sending you json but what what how do you know what's what's actually inside of that json structure so you know that you need you know movie titles you know that you need <clears throat> Uh, some sort of author, like, or the director, the, the actors and stuff like that. But what you'll sometimes find out is they'll have some extra information in there that you didn't think of before, but you might actually use. So for instance, going back to the movie example, uh, what happens if they have the cover art link and you're like, oh, well, if they have the cover art link, I might as well use that. But then you're like, okay, so how do I want to do it? Do I want to just use that cover art link and then just like 
implemented into my application, like actually as a link in the source tag? Uh, well, you can, and that's like for a smaller application, maybe that makes sense. But if you're anticipating lots of traffic to your site and you're anticipating lots of returning customers and stuff like that, it might not be the best idea because you might want to think like, well, if, if too many people hit this API, like Matt was mentioning before with the limits, uh, and if, if too many people hit this image tag, image source, then maybe the, that API will stop working for me and that image source will stop working for me. So it, you won't be able to get uh, the the image back and then you'll just see a blank box or like a sample image or whatever, however you set it up. So to mitigate that, again, you can just use that link once and set it up as a, like download it to your server automatically, obviously, and then just replace the 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 external link with your server link. And then you, you, you're kind of controlling your own hosting for that image. So it's just one little thought process that, that can go on when you are looking at an API response, when you're, when you're looking at your server request response, because sometimes, uh, if you're going into an, a project, maybe you're getting hired at a new company and you're going into a project and they're like, okay, we'll update this screen on, on the page or something like that. What will happen is there's a lot of maybe server requests on that page. There's a lot of API calls. It's important to familiarize yourself with what information you're actually dealing with. Because it can make your life a lot easier in the future. Like if you're going into a, a, a page and it has a bunch of information about a, a specific company and they're asking you to add some more information about that company. Uh, maybe it's like, a you know, they want you to add the address and uh, maybe when the company was founded. So you're like, okay, well, maybe I'll have to go online, Google when that company was added. But if you go back and you look at what that page is currently pulling Maybe it's already pulling information about that company because it was already, you know, centered around there. Uh, and maybe that API that it's pulling from or the server request that it's, that it's pulling from is, has that, that information that you need. So it might be, you know, a five minute job for you to just, you know, use the variables already given to you instead of going out and Googling it yourself. And then those become static. You don't like, ideally what you want to do is not have too many static variables when stuff can change like an address is a perfect example. If you be, if you use a static address that you just find, found off Google without linking it to anything and that company moves, then you're kind of in a point where let's say two years down the line, you're, you can't maintain every single website that you've ever worked on. You forget that a customer goes to that site and they're, they're screwed because the address is now different. So they go to a different site. This, people are angry where this could have easily been prevented if you were using the API call that was maybe already available to you. So stuff like that is, is worth consideration when you, uh, when you're thinking about APIs and structuring data. And I'm not, it's, this isn't really going to be a tutorial on how to structure data because it's a very visual thing. Uh, if anything, I would do a YouTube video on kind of my process of going through a simple website to how I, how I build the JSON data structures for it, how I prototype with JSON. Like I like to do a lot of prototyping before I build API calls, before I build server responses, where I'll just build like local JSON data structures and see how my site will use them and manipulate them. Because a lot of the time when I when I do that, I can figure out what's like some issues. So sometimes it'll be like, I put an array inside of a JSON structure, uh, but it's, it's not accessible during this portion of the code. So I'll, what I'll have to do is I'll have to kind of like pull that array out of that JSON structure, put it into a different one where that is accessible and that makes more sense. So you, you structure your data uh, before you build your servers, before you build your stuff like that 
if you're on a, on a small project, if you're working on it on your own, that's kind of how I like to do it. Uh, I'm more of a front-end guy anyway, so maybe there's a little bit of bias, but I, I do like to have my data very refined before I go and build out the actual server infrastructure that will be serving that data. Uh, and again, when I'm doing my own responses and calls, I do like to make my data human readable as much as possible. So I'm like proper name tagging for, for each value is important to me. So if it's like an author name, I want to name, I want to, you know, put author name, not just name. Uh, if it's like, uh, an address, I want to put like store address, uh, cause they could have a PO box address, stuff like that. Like I just want to make sure that when a person is looking through my data in the future, they can understand it without having me to help me having to build out a set of documentation and stuff like that for them to go through it. Um, and, and really that that's about it. That, that's about all I have to say about just JSON in general in a podcast format. What I will say is that if you are interested in JSON, I think I will be following this up with more JSON tutorials. Like Matt was saying, it's a good idea. Uh, it's something that I'm fairly versed in like i've done a lot of a lot of work with json api calls api structure so i think it'll be valuable for some of you let us know you again you can contact us in our discord on twitter uh, at html everything even instagram at html the things and stuff like that so just let let us know if you if you want to see some more json stuff in the future but with that i think i'm going to pass it on to matt if he has any questions or moving on to the next segment yeah so i do actually have a question so how much do you think that people should be or how paranoid I guess should people be when they're thinking of being efficient with their data like with the structures um so maybe like a couple of examples of that would be when they're learning or when they're making something for production so how paranoid should they be should they be constantly checking to make sure they're being most efficient and with that being said how paranoid should you be I'd say on average because it changes per project on how many API calls like, should you be scaling up so you expect, you know, I don't know, 100 hits, so you always buy 200? Or what What would your estimation be? Okay, so the, fir- the first question was how efficient you should be with your data. And in that sense, if I'm understanding correctly, like how much, like how should your data be formatted so that you don't have anything excess, right? Like, so you don't have anything like, you don't have a whole database of data in your in your code that's not being used. Is that is that correct? Well, like, like how efficient should you be? So like I, the first kind of use case I would think in my head is let's say we made a website today and we finished it and that's really great. It's working. And then in a year, the customer approaches us and says, hey, we want to build something else. And so off the top of our head, we know how to make a fresh call and let's say pull in the sale prices of, of some objects. However – Maybe there, maybe that data, like you had stated in the segment, maybe that data is already being pulled in with something else. So, you know, wh- how paranoid should you be? Should you not care and just make that call because it's a quick, like, hey, let's just make another call, quickly pull that information in? Or should you always do research and be like, wait, is this actually being pulled in with anything else? Should you spend that time checking the, like, checking throughout the other calls to see if you could be more efficient? Uh, I'd say, I think, yes, I don't think, I think making redundant calls isn't the greatest idea anyway, because again, it, it, not only are you doing more network traffic, you have more points of failure for that network traffic to come back. You have more chances of that API call that you're making, uh, to like 
overextend and like having to pay more for the API access or however you, you have it worked out. I, in my opinion, I think you should, because usually if you're just like, if it's a smaller website, you're probably not making that many API calls. So going through like, you know, the five or six that you're making isn't going to be that huge of a deal and seeing what the data is in there, like in, in the future, rather than just, you know, doing it quickly and making the same API call twice, uh, just to get like one or two pieces of data. I, that's my opinion. Um, whether that affects anything in the future, I don't know, but I, I think that it's better to structure your mind like that because when you are working in a larger corporation, a larger company, and they're trying to squeeze as much performance out of their, you know, very large applications as you, as they possibly can, it will come in handy. So if only for that reason, it's worth it. But I think it could come into play for, uh, the fact that again, you might, be calling an API too many times and it could cost you more money in the future. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So you definitely should be not making a bunch of redundant calls because it could get extremely costly. If like that customer calls you back again, like three or four times adding stuff. So what was that? What was the second question? Uh, that is a great question. Um, (laughs) it's two 45 AM here. So I'm starting to fade slightly. Uh, I don't get jet lag. Yeah, you have jet lag, and it's 2.45 here, and I've been up since 8 a.m., so... Um, moving on. Yeah, moving on. Uh, so, moving on, actually, we got to remember that question. What was that question? We were talking about APIs, and then... It's a good question. It was a good right? question. It was a good question. See, we could listen to it back, but I don't know how to do that no, in the no, middle no, of no, recording. Don't do that. Um, don't do that. I don't remember what the question was, but all right. Anyway, okay. We're moving on, uh, very excitingly, to our very first sponsor spot, and I can already hear you folks hitting your stop button. This podcast sucks now. Blah 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 has a sponsor. Well, that's nice. But anyway, our sponsor is the uh, the one membership by Template Monster, and that one membership is your ultimate web development kit. It includes WordPress and CMS themes, e-commerce themes, powerful plugins, presentation templates, diverse graphics. Unlimited installations, 24-7 technical support, and one year of free hosting. If you want to check that out, you can go to our link, tinyurl.com slash HTML, all the things, and you can get a 10% off, or you can get 10% off if you use the promo code HTML, all the things, 10. And now on to our web news segment, uh, in between growing pains. So um, I was looking right at web news and I lost my place. Yeah, I'm starting to fade. Okay. <laughs> Starting to fade real bad. Okay, here we go. Uh, we all know that as a company grows, there are a variety of growing pains that plague it at certain stages. This includes things like making enough money to hit certain tax thresholds, needing more than just lose paper for bookkeeping and expanding one's arsenal of equipment. And most recently, we've run into a couple of the, a couple of growing pains that put us right in between two tiers of software. So, for example, we have a lot of customer interactions. So make so so many, in fact, that tracking them would be really great. But we wouldn't use traditional CRMs to the fullest, and their price tag is rather pricey depending on which one you go with. Um, we also have a contractor that works with us consistently, but all programs that we need for organization uh, would only be used for a few minutes a day at our current scale, and at and like and that's really at most. Like sometimes you don't even really need to check your to dos and stuff. And yet, the majority of software actually requires a full subscription. For per user per month or per year, depending on your commitment. And then we also have customer requests coming in that require a full set of skills. So a full set of research, then some design, then development, then deployment. And 
actually actually completed on timelines that push the boundaries of our current team's size, yet these requests aren't frequent enough to get additional help or to maybe use some sort of freelancer network, not quite yet. So I have a couple of questions here. How does one cope with being, quote unquote, in between these growing pains? And when should you just purchase the new software? So speaking about like the CRMs and that type of thing, or... And another thing, kind of a sub-question, would purchasing something that isn't going to be used a lot actually help force you to drum up more business because you want to get your money's worth out of that purchase? These are good questions. Um, and this is more of a discussion, I guess, because I definitely don't have the answers to these because I'm we're, we're both in the same boat here, right? Uh, but in my opinion... Uh, we have Minecraft and over there, and here's a bang! Yeah. Bang! What's yeah. going on over there? Just Minecrafted, Minecrafted my way out of the desk. So, how does one cope with in-between growing pains? That is a great question. Uh, I think what, what you have to do is you kind of have to think bigger rather than smaller. I think that's the way to do it, because one thing that it'll do is it'll prepare you for where you're heading, right? And number two is that it will kind of motivate you to head there quicker, if that makes sense. Um, so instead of being like, okay, so we're in between the two tiers right now, like we're, we're getting everything that we can out of tier one uh, for, for whatever software that we're using. Let's just make an example of like a, a, a task management software. Yeah. Um, we're getting everything that we can out of this, out of this free tier or whatever. But right now we're getting to the point where like I need, um, I need like capabilities of seeing how many to do's that I've made in the past so that I can kind of, you know, uh, gauge how, how I'm doing on a day to day basis. Yes. Uh, but I don't need anything else really in the next year until we bring on like our contractor in our to do structure and stuff like that. So again, in between, I'm just giving a, a real world example because it's kind of where I am with, uh, this to do list of that I'm using called to doist and, uh, it's something that I have been considering. Like I might, I might actually go for the paid tier on that one. So because I'm in that, I'm at that point, I could save some money and just kind of force myself not to use the paid features. Um, and that's okay. But what I'm thinking is that if I were to pay for it, a, maybe it would affect my productivity in a, in a positive way. And B, maybe it would force me to use it more often to become more efficient, to use the tool that we're actually, you know, paying for um and actually go to that next tier where i'm actually needing all the features that, of that tier where it includes like multiple people being able to edit the list and stuff like that like stuff that's my thought process um now having said that let's say that we were to purchase the second tier and then not use it at all like let's say i, I purchase this to doist premium tier and i go and I'm like, okay, I'm not, my, my habits haven't changed. I haven't really used any of the paid features. I think the smart thing to do at that point would be to go back to the free tier or to use a different application altogether. Um, and I think it's a good way of ripping applications out that you're not using that you have installed on all your devices and stuff like that. So maybe it'll force you to reconsider as well. So in my opinion, yeah, in between growing pains, go to next tier. What do you think? Well, it's interesting because, so for example, we actually have like a big jump ahead of us. So we don't actually use a CRM at the moment. We kind of just 
like we we've kind of just kind of almost used our heads as a CRM. We've had we've had so you're using Todoist now. I use Microsoft's Todo. We also have a Asana, which I'm not sure if you use anymore. And so like there's a lot of software here that could really benefit us, but none of them are none of them do specifically one thing. And and what what the thing I'm having trouble with the most is is cust- like here's a use case. A customer calls me up and says, you know, we, we, we really need to discuss, I don't know, my calculator app. It's having trouble with the addition button, blah, 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 blah. Okay, we have a conversation, phone call ends. Then the next week, you know, I've already had a bunch of phone calls with other customers, maybe even with that customer. And then that particular customer with the problem with the addition button calls me again and says, hey, do you remember what we were talking about last week? And the very first thing I'm out with is no. What are you talking about? So I realize that's like a small use case problem. But we're having this issue where we have a lot of like support and a lot of questions and a lot of information that's coming to us from customers at this point. And it's getting to the point where what we used to do is just kind of look at our completed tasks in our task in our various task managers or look at um, what we completed on the websites or just know from memory what we did on the websites. But now we're kind of being stretched thin across so many jobs that it's getting to the point where I I just can't remember everything. And so the main feature I want from a CRM is literally a literally a list of almost like a BlackBerry hub, if you will, per customer, where it's like here's the customer's name and maybe some like other information like their phone number and stuff. And I just need a list of like on Tuesday they called and this was the call notes from it. On this day they emailed me about this. On this day, they like th- they gave me these tasks, and I generated a task from that, and like maybe even start doing some things like automation in there. But the main thing I need like today is just that list, and so I kind of need a CRM right away. But then a CRM is like super fully featured, and yes, there's free ones I understand, but in general, let's just say I need the paid tier in this case. It's like I'm not really getting the full use out of it. And even at those free tiers, there's a lot there that I'm not using. And so this is like a big jump for us. And so I think you're right, Mike, in in terms of when you're already on the software and you need to make the jump. I would say that like if you need to use the, the premium feature on a consistent basis and not just once because it's kind of convenient, then yes, make the jump. For this, like I don't know whether we should because it's all it's like also you're using different software than me. So realistically, yeah. this CRM is like for a team, but like, it's just me that would be using it. Yeah. Or we consolidate and use the same software for the same purposes. Or we consolidate. Yes. We, we could also consolidate, come up with like procedures in that. But then now we have the, now we're running into the problem of holy crap. Like we have all these tickets and all these things coming in, which are not tickets, by the way. See, this is another problem is, I like doing things in like I've always said in like a ticket format, but now we're getting and, and so like basically I was making tasks and those were my like quote unquote tickets. I would just do an order, but now I'm getting so much stuff coming in that I have to have things in separate separate screens and I'm not like remembering exactly what I was supposed to do at this time. I'm not exactly remembering what I'm supposed to do for this guy. I'm not exactly remembering what we talked about and that type of thing. And so we almost almost need like help desk software to plug into that. But then it's also like, well, how many work orders are we going to do a week? Three. You know, but what but am I supposed to do? it is expanding like, quickly. It is expanding quickly. So it's like, I'm just, I don't know. It's like a mental block or something. I think, I think this, I think you're supposed to question, like, you're supposed to, you're supposed to question proceedings like this. Like, I'm not just supposed to be like, oh, I need a ticket. Like I did that first day of the business, right? 
I need a ticket, so I'm going to get a help desk software. That's a bit overkill. We haven't needed it since until now. But maybe now it's start, time to start looking at a suite of products or a CRM that has a bunch of help, like it has a bunch of stuff like help desk software, or maybe it has integrations into existing help desk software that works with our existing email provider and that type of thing. So that's sort of like where we're at. And it's just sort of weird being in this limbo state where it's like, I am getting by, but not as efficiently as I was. And so like productivity and what and everything else is being hurt, but I also don't want to waste money. So Stop. yeah, it's, it's, it, it's a tough decision, but it probably should be a tough decision. And I will say that by purchase, like that last question there with purchasing something that isn't going to be used a lot, actually help force you to drum up more business because you want your money's worth. In terms of the CRM, I don't know if it would help me drum up more business necessarily right away, but the very first thing I thought of, and I actually just mentioned it, is I could have things like, instead of me typing in, oh, I made a call, I could have an automated thing that says, like, oh, you had a call, this was the duration, this is the time, and then have a notification automatically come up that says, like, please fill out the call notes once the call is concluded. See, I would already start to automate small things that I wouldn't necessarily think about. And so I would say to that question that that is relatively true because whether it's money's worth or productivity's worth and time is money, that once you get in there, if you care enough, I think you're going to start messing around with it. I don't know if you have the same sort of idea. I think I, I have the same thought process as you. It's, I, I honestly think if we were to get the CRM, um, maybe you're right. It is a little bit overkill for where we're at right at this very second. But our plan is to get to the point where, and it, it in a very short amount of time, I think we will be at the point where we're going to very much use more features of that CRM. Like Like you said, we have a contractor that could be very efficient with that contractor so he could go in and look at the notes from each call check to make sure that he has everything that he needs from that and stuff like that add notes to it like i can see this going to our advantage and if we were to buy it now and start using it now we become more familiar with it yes to the point where when we when we need it we can hit the ground running with it so again i i think that my the logic that i have applies here where if we're at the point where we're in between we should just get it like, it seems to make sense. Like, you're already just thinking about it shortly. You're already making logical yes. steps into how you would use it to be more efficient. And right now, we like like you said, with the uh, with your weekly pain point, you're in an overload. You're in an interaction overload. And this is literally designed to help with that. So, I don't know. It, if, if, if it was me making, like, I mean, it is us making the call together. Um I would say we should at least attempt to start using it. And we should, in a sense where like we should pay for it and use it. And if we really can't get the benefit from it, then we can have a separate discussion on that. Yeah. About why and then maybe not use it and stuff like that. But I think... Because we can always dump it. We can always get rid of it. Exactly. Exactly. We can always get rid of it. But also in a sense like we shouldn't just dump it because we're not using it because we're just lazy. Yes. We We should dump it if it's not meeting our requirements for how it's being used so i think if we get it let's really use it yes i'll use it as well for my interactions and stuff like that and let's make sure that we're both on the same page about it kind of thing so i'm i'm in here my conclusion is we should get it okay i mean yeah 
I would agree, and I just thought of two use cases as you were talking there of stuff that we could additionally use it for. And so this is, like, good news, I think. One of the things that I always have trouble with is when I'm having a call or just a meeting with somebody, I never know where to put my meeting notes. Now, that sounds really stupid, like, we'll put it in a notebook. Like, thanks, bud. Hit me up on Twitter. But when you... Like, when you sit down at, like, a Zoom call or go to, like, a conference room at a, at, a, at a client's place, you write up notes, which is great, but then where do you put them? Do you automatically translate those into tasks? But sometimes they're not tasks, they're just informational. And so I was doing a task and then in the description putting the information. Then I would check off the task that is complete and then lose the information. So there's there's one big thing. Another big thing would be that I think we would really benefit from being able to store what exactly we did. So a prime example would be, I recently pushed a bit of a weird fix to a couple of WordPress sites that allow a couple of incompatibilities to be kind of overlooked and the user doesn't get affected by it. If that fix breaks in a year, I'm not going to remember what the hell I did. I'm not going to remember what files I touched. I'm not going to remember how to, how to revert it. I'm not, there's no way. There's no chance. And so how else would I write that down? But in a help desk software, I wouldn't, as long as I write my ticket out right and have a descriptive whatever and like actually write down what I did and what files I changed and what I changed in them, maybe even uploading those files to the help desk software, I can easily go back. And if the customer calls and says, hey, that fix you did for me last year, because that's a phrase they would use, right? Any customer, hey, that fix you did for me last year doesn't work or something's wrong with it. Can you go look? Right now, in a year, I would be like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. But if we have this software, it'd be like, give me a sec. And I can sort by, you know, in this case, it'd be 2019. And I could be like, oh, fix. Yep, here you go. Here's a work order here. Are you talking about these links that weren't working? Yes. Okay. Now I know what's going on. Yeah, I could take a look. And I already know, I already have like a a bearing. Whereas, like how many times have we coded something up or fixed something and then had to go back and been like, how the hell did I do this? And I think that that's like a huge time saving. So I'm also a yes now. (laughs) I honestly thought we were going to have conflicting points, but I think we've just, just talked ourselves into it. Yeah. I think, I think it just makes sense. The the other thing is that uh, we haven't mentioned this on the podcast yet, but we do have a customer that wants a CRM to be installed. um, And it would be nice for us to get more experience with it. Like we've all had, we've both had kind of experience with it separately in, in, uh, using crms and 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 i've had a and i know an expert in it as well like to help us yeah yeah so we we do have our sources for it and we like so we're not completely blind in crms but i think us setting one up ourselves for our needs will not only like make us better at cms or crms but we'll know which one to use for which customer and stuff like that because i think what we're gonna inevitably do is do some research and not just gonna pick the first one that we see no no yeah and uh and decide, decide, and that will make us more knowledgeable with the decision for our customers. So, in my opinion, yeah, like I, I anyway, we we both stated yes. So I, I think that's, yep, that's it. Done. So that that's our web news. That's how you talk yourself into spending money. Uh, spending money. <laughs> well, uh, anyway, uh, I think we can run the old conclusion mostly because I'm going to fall asleep. Yeah. Um, yeah. We'll do it. So uh, thank you for listening, and make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing on the platform of your choice. You can follow us on the socials via at HTML things. That's on Facebook and Instagram. You can also follow us on Twitter, which is at HTML everything. We're on medium 
and we're on GitHub. And remember, we're also on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. Check out the tiers and give that a go. And many thanks to our $3 tier patrons, Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript. You can find him at youtube.com slash RabbitWorks JavaScript. Garrick from Local Path Computing and Web Design. You can find him at localpathcomputing.com. Craig, a.k.a. Cosworth. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital. You can find him at blueblackdigital.com. Chris from Self-Made Web Designer. You can find him at selfmadewebdesigner.com. And Tim from The Web Hacker. You can find him at thewebhacker.com. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you're listening to this on. And we are signing off. Yeah.